Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Austin Ye and Mayu. What's going on, everybody? Austin, what's going on with you, man? Um, same out. old, man. Like, you know, I, what updates can I give? Like the puppy lifestyle. I'm a father now. And you got your Tesla. And I got, oh, yes, I got my Tesla. Like getting that Tesla was a complete nightmare. Um, there were so many issues with insurance. There are so many issues with financing as well because I'm self-employed. But it pulled through. All is good. The in- I got a two point eight five percent interest rate, which I found out is not bad, but it's quite high. Hey, like I, I heard other people get two point three five. I was watching Mark Loeffler's video, and he was saying, "Yeah, I know he owns a business too. He's not doing personal, so two point three five. So I got gypped. <laughs> so that so so the interest rate is given to you by Tesla or by like a, a separate like bank, or whatever. No, okay. So Tesla is uh, you can finance Tesla in Canada with RBC or Scotia. Okay. And I saw in Loeffler's video, it was via Scotia. So their rates might be a bit cheaper. I got finance for RBC and uh, I know I worked there before, but uh, you know, like hey my, my past employment does not hold any weight and preferable interest rates, I guess. No, nah, but it's still pretty sick to, to finally own a Tesla at your age. And I'm sure like a lot of people like aspire to it. I told you, I'm like, I, yo, I'm, I'm going to live through you. <laughs> I'd love to, you know, own Tesla, but really, like, I can't justify it. It's sick. Yeah, I know. It's, it's awesome, man. So been, been doing a lot of, I guess, uh, a lot of great milestones on the personal life side outside of real estate. On the real estate side of things, I think I was talking a little bit about cash for keys last time, and I'm about to do that again. So just close on a six unit. This is a property that we tried to wholesale and there was no buyers. I think I talked about it very briefly, but it appraised over six figures above our purchase price. And one, sorry? How much you guys buy it for? We bought it for, if I remember, like 500 or 505. I don't remember the exact number. It appraised for 625 um, or 624. And one of the people actually left before closing. Yeah, for the six books, you guys got residential or commercial financing? Because it was residential via Desjardins. Oh yeah, okay, that's not bad. That's yeah, we had, yeah. So we got a local credit union on that because the closing was super quick. So there was no way we could, and you know this, my being in the mortgage game, we couldn't get things closed in thirty days, especially if it's a six unit. That's hard. You yeah. got to find an appraisal appraiser to be able to do all of that and write the paperwork and you know get all of that done. So it was a stressful experience, and we had to raise fifty percent loan to value on the purchase price because we couldn't even we didn't even get that great of a uh, financing from Desjardins. Yeah, yeah, but whatever. I'm sure your, your weighted average cost would have been at like what, like six to seven percent if you take like the fifty percent that you did private, fifty percent that you did Desjardins, it probably ends up at around like seven or maybe seven or eight percent. But it's not, yeah, it's sitting at about it's sitting at about five or six percent, exactly yeah, like what good. you're saying. So yeah. now it's just a matter of cash for keys. Now one of the units already left, so that's great. And I'm gonna try to speak to the other five tenanted units, even if we turn over two units and one of them's already technically like vacant, so we can turn that over, it's gonna be a pretty solid burr because they're already appraised six figures above um, our, our purchase price, right? So very excited for that project. Yeah. How about you, man? Like what have you, I know you were going to cottage. Yeah, uh, I've got, I just went to cottage this last weekend, I'm going to Vancouver this Friday. I was trying to convince my wife to like live somewhere for like a month, right? And like she could work from there and like I could work from there, whatever. 
which wasn't too bad. It so, so I ended up just doing five days in Vancouver. <laughs> but um, yeah, things are good, man. Um, the flip sold last week. I don't remember if we talked about it in the podcast or not, but I posted a story about it. Essentially, like didn't really go for the top dollar sale. It was more so quick and easy sale, close within like a month. Um, so June twentieth is the closing on that. Um, June 30th is the other flip that like we're starting. So like timing wise works out perfectly. Um, but we're still trying to get one more flip. Other than that, on the acquisition side, I'm trying to take a break. Um, really just ramping up the mortgages, right? So it's crazy. A lot of people are are reaching out for like refinances. Like they're trying to like make sure that they have and I and I tell people this that call, have book a call with me for the mortgage side as well. It's May of 2020 could happen at any time. Like neither one of us saw that shit happen in March, April, May. And it's just like everything was on sale. So whenever there's a sale opportunity, even if you don't intend to use your capital and you're like, why would I refinance? Just put a home equity line of credit on whatever you have, right? And have that available capital so that at any point you can jump and take action, right? Um, especially on like the, some of the best wholesale deals are the ones that like I've paid like fat, like six-figure wholesale fees for, right? Um, and you really can't do that with like traditional bank financing. So having those huge fines or private money um, is, is always available, right? It's, it's always great. So... So yeah, on that topic, I guess the last the last deal that I really bought was a nineplex from uh, you guys on on your wholesale list. So it's a nineplex out in Kirkland Lake, and our guest today is Elizabeth Kelly. Elizabeth's a uh, property manager and investor out in Kirkland Lake. Um, we're definitely gonna be going into her episode and her backstory quite a bit, but she's got experience in the bird siding, um, rent to own. She started off in uh, the GTA. She lived out in Newmarket, um, and then she they essentially moved the entire business up to Kirkland Lake. And her husband's a contractor. She's a property manager. They were essentially gonna be uh, my right arm as I try to turn around this nineplex. So I think um, Elizabeth's also a, a real estate coach. So she's got a, a breadth of experience, years, multiple years in the industry, um, and just a really good individual as well when I interacted with her. So uh, definitely check out this episode, guys. I know usually Austin does the intros, but I think I covered it a lot. Uh, we definitely talked about some great concepts, really dope into the Kirkland Lake market as well, um, talking about the economics and the fundamentals there. Um, so yeah, I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. We are joined with our very special guest, Elizabeth Kelly. Elizabeth, how are you today? I'm awesome. Thanks. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. We're doing great. So Elizabeth, for anyone that doesn't know you, um, why don't you guys give us a quick rundown of kind of your investing journey to date um, and kind of the story that, that led you up to where you are right now? Sure, absolutely. First of all, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, so my husband and I started investing in real estate about 15 years ago. And uh, we just kind of, I guess, got bitten by the bug, I guess. You know, you, you start out as an investor and you just see, you know, the way you can take something that's, you know, run down and tired and, you know, not the nicest. And then you put in a little bit of sweat equity and all of a sudden you have something that looks beautiful and you're really proud of. But also it went up significantly in value. And it's, you know, that concept of being able to trade sweat equity for, you know, money in your pocket. That is, it is a really nice bonus with real estate. So. We started off, I mean, 15 years ago, we were doing burrs and we were doing duplexing and stuff like that before it was, you know, as popular as they, as they are now, we were doing them in new market. Um, and we made some mistakes along the way. We bought some condos um, and then we had a special assessment. So we went from positive cash flow to negative cash flow, like overnight and six of our units. So we, where were uh, those condos? Yeah. Where you were they? What? Sorry. Where were they? They were in new market. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So we, we sort of got a, a taste firsthand of what it's like to own a, a special assessment condo. <laughs> and you did it all in the same condo unit. So all six units. 
Uh-huh. Oh, oh ooh, brutal. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that was that was painful for sure. So and and the thing is when you get hit with a special assessment, it's not like you just lose your cash flow. It's like all of a sudden the building's stigmatized too, right? So nobody wants to buy in there. The property values are frozen until the special assessment's over. If somebody's desperate enough to sell, they have to pay out the special assessment. Like it creates this whole different kind of thing, right? So mm. um at that point we kind of went, there's something here. We love real estate. But we're doing we're, we're there has to be a better way to do this than to make all the mistakes yourself and to figure out, you know what, oops, this mistake just cost me, you know, 10 grand over here. And oops, this one cost me 25 grand over here. Like there has to be a better way to do this. So that was when um, my husband attended uh, the the two hour sort of rich dad, um, the preview. Right. So he's like, OK, there's something here. So we went and we dove in with uh, with both feet. We were all in with rich dad and. A couple of uh, years later, we actually started teaching for Rich Dad. We just took the concepts that they taught and we applied them. We were super diligent and and religious about it. And uh, and we just grew really quickly. So now, you know, fast forward 10 years since Rich Dad and um, we live in Kirkland Lake full time now. We have a full service property management company. Um, I have a, a coaching business and um, and we also have a, a large investing portfolio. So, yeah. It's There's a, a ton going on there. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So, so quite the journey there. Um, I'm, I mean, one thing we like to do when we kind of get started with a new investor and you quite, you have quite a large portfolio, a lot of successes in real estate is kind of figure out the starting point. Um, so your first couple properties, were they condos or were they like, um, a single family or like freeholds? Um, I think our first couple of properties were condos. Um, and then we bought a condo townhouse and we bought a s- couple of single family homes and turned them into duplexes. This is all in new market. Cause that's where, um, that's where we were living. So, um, yeah. And, and it's crazy. Cause I look back now and I think about what those little tiny properties that we bought for, you know, 300,000, you know, what they're worth now. And it's mm-hmm. just, it's, it's incredible how much the, uh, the real estate market has gone up. Yeah. Was that through burring for the acquisitions for your first couple, or did you simply just save from the full-time job and, and kind of acquire? No, we were definitely burring and, and we would do duplex burrs as well. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I mean, but back then we just called it like, you know, putting in a basement apartment. That was, you know, the old, the old school <laughs> terminology. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We got to complicate real estate now. Like these, all of these jargons that we added in <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> makes absolutely. it sound sexier. Yeah. I think it's overwhelming for new investors though. Like people spend so much time, you know, they, they're trying to decide what strategy and they're like, Oh, I saw this show or I listened to this podcast or, and they're like, this is what I want to do. And and people are making decisions without fully understanding, you know, there's pros and cons to each one and not every strategy works in every market. So it's really important that you choose a market and choose a strategy that works there as opposed to just kind of taking two ideas and smushing them together and hoping that it's going to produce the results that you want. So I, I think that makes sense. I think when you started off in new market, um, how did you decide to go up to Kirkland Lake? And was it was it really just you were investing in new market and then one day you decided, you know what, I'm going to do Kirkland Lake or were there any in between? And what was that decision making like? Like what led you out there? So we we were doing all this work in New Market. We had I think eleven doors, and then we added an eight bedroom licensed student house in Barrie. So at that point, we were at nineteen doors, and um, we were doing all the managing and everything ourselves. And at that point in our our journey, we took um, the multi unit apartment class through Rich Dad, and then we took some other classes and 
and we decided we really wanted multi-unit buildings. But when we were running the numbers, like they didn't make sense even back then, 10 years ago, we weren't generating the kind of cash flow that I wanted to generate. Um, I had left my job at that point with our 19 doors, but my husband wanted to leave his job. So we, um, we started looking at other markets and we figured, you know what, this property management, like it's, it's not easy stuff. You really, if you're going to do it, you need to do it properly. You better educate yourself. So um, we started looking in markets where other people could manage for us. And that was originally our intent. And we, our first multi-unit buildings that we bought, uh, we bought in St. John, New Brunswick. We have about 50 doors out there. And, um, and then from there, we moved on to Kirkland Lake. And our goal originally was to hire property managers and have them look after everything for us. But we had some very definite ideas about kind of how we wanted our portfolio run and the decisions and, you know, what type of tenants we wanted. And we didn't want, you know, our apartments rented all inclusive and we couldn't really find someone to be our boots on the ground who was going to run things the way we wanted it done. So we ultimately ended up just opening our own property management company. And our, our original goal was just to look after, you know, our own buildings because we figured economies of scale. And at that point we had, you know, we were well over a hundred units. And then other investors started seeing Kirkland Lake and they started asking if we'd manage. So then we ended up opening, you know, originally we just sort of did repairs and maintenance and we had, you know, contractors that we went to. But then um, we started working with investors and helping them do the Burr strategy, but, you know, from the comfort of their couch. So mm -hmm. we opened a full service renovation um, division as well. My husband's an engineer and he sort of heads up the the renovations and the permits and everything else. So people can literally sit at home on their couch and they get the reports every, you know, every week at, on Friday and they see the photos and the progress and everything made. Um, but they don't have to physically be here managing the project and spending time away from family. So sorry, that yeah, was a long answer. No, that's game changing. Uh, Holy shit. So basically it's not only property management. I mean, it's, it's everything property management, construction. Um, like if you, they, someone wanted to add a secondary suite, for example, your husband's an engineer. He can he can pull the permits and do the drawings, figure all of that out. That's that's phenomenal. Um, so so kind of going back to the in, investing in Kirkland Lake. So we started off at New Market, and I'm assuming you lived at New Market, and then you kind of packed your stuff and just moved over to Kirkland Lake, right? What attracted you there, and when did you start investing there? Because Kirkland Lake's very far up north. Is it like five or six hours from Toronto? I want to see. Yeah, yeah it's, it's definitely, yeah, it's about five and a half hours door to door for us when we go back to, to Newmarket to see family. So, um, I mean, I wouldn't say that we were, you know, sort of, oh, let's move to Kirkland Lake. There wasn't like a big decision making process that happened. Um, much like, you know, every investor's journey and evolution, uh, you know, we ran into some challenges up here. Um, and uh, so we started putting in more and more time. And for a while there, you know, up for up to 2017, uh, you know, I was primarily down south. I had a mortgage. Uh, I was a mortgage agent and, you know, I was doing rent to owns and with my partner. And um, and so we, I kind of had a life in Newmarket. And then Emmett was here in Kirkland Lake and we were spending so much time apart. We're like, we didn't get married to, to see each other, you know, four days a month. So we better figure something else out. And um, ultimately, uh, my husband ended up um, uh, getting sick in 2017. So I came up to run the company until he recovered. And it ended up taking um, six months, really, before he was you know, back to being able to work a somewhat full day. Um, so that was kind of when we made the decision. And we're like, OK, so I guess we're here. So now we live here. And honestly, 
I can't think of a better place to come through a pandemic than a rural northern town. Um, you know, outside our door, we have a big piece of property. We, you know, in the wintertime, we can put on our snowshoes at the bottom of the stairs and head off and hike for, you know, days and not see anybody if we want. Um, there's so much space and there's so much freedom here and there's so much, you know, restorative about being outside. So it wasn't, it wasn't planned, but, uh, it's definitely for the best. So why don't we talk a little bit about Kirkland Lake as a, as a place? Cause I, I don't know that many people that know Kirkland Lake. I know. Um, people, for example, are investing as far north as Timmins right now. Um, and I'm sure people invest like way more north than that. I'm just kind of saying that the popular names. So what about Kirkland Lake makes it a good place to invest? Well, what originally attracted us was the fact that it's a gold town. So, but it's not a gold town where gold is the only thing going on. There's a couple of other really good um, industries here. Uh, there's forestry, which is great. There's a huge office for uh, Veterans Affairs, which employs a lot of people. We've got uh, the district hospital is here. We've got a couple of huge seniors homes. Um, so there's a number of other sort of industries or businesses here in Kirkland Lake, which we like. But, you know, we thought about it. And, you know, when there's inflation that happens and when the dollar drops and all these other things, you know, it's gold that is really the, the strength uh, behind, you know, most of, of the financing. So we thought about it and we figured if we were going to buy somewhere, it would make sense to buy somewhere that is actually mining for money. Mm, and yeah. the other the other trade off, you know, as we started doing our due diligence and dug deeper is that um, Kirkland Lake Gold, the, the largest mine here with the Macasa site, they have the lowest cost per ounce to pull gold out of the ground. So as the price of gold goes up, they're just making more and more and more money, which means they're bringing in more people. So we have this fantastic base of tenants to choose from who are employed, make great incomes, but they're only here half the month. You know, they're seven on seven off or they're 14 on 14 off. So they don't show up on the census data. People are like, oh, the, the population of Kirkland Lake. I'm like, the population of Kirkland Lake doesn't show this huge hidden subset of these amazing tenants who, you know, when their shift is over, they drive home to New Brunswick or, you know, they fly to Manitoba or, you know, they drive south to Windsor or whatever, wherever it is they go that's home. But they're still here and they're still, you know, paying rent and taking care of, of their apartments. Yeah. yeah, that's why you need to talk to an expert, right? Like I had a lot of those same beliefs when I first looked at Kirkland Lake. Oh, the population is quite small, so it kind of worried me. But exactly yeah. what you said, the census doesn't count for people going in and out right, for work. And on top of that, like the gold was um, something that was concerning to me, too. But the points you brought up are very valid, right? Like especially like during uh, an inflationary period, uh, people want to hold gold, right? So so like that. Yeah, that's a lot of strong points. Maya, you're going to ask a question, right? No, I was just going to add on to that because like I, I've been doing my own due diligence at Kirkland Lake and I have a friend. I have a friend of a friend who, who covers kind of the gold mines around the Kirkland Lake area from like an equity research perspective. So the companies that operate those mines out there and essentially those mines are good for another like 15 to 20 years, at least in kind of like the ability to keep digging and producing gold and uh, the cost per unit. It's actually like that. That's actually what sold me on, on Kirkland Lake as well. It was, I think you could go as low as 13 or $1,200 a unit um, and you'd still be fine relative to the price of where gold is right now. Right. So, which is a pretty significant margin Like gold would have to drop. I think that's like 50 or 60% for it to like be, become like to the point where it doesn't make sense. Right. So um, that's a great point. So in terms of like within Kirkland Lake, um, are there a lot of, cause I, I know, for example, like myself and Austin, we have a significant portfolio in Windsor. Right. And so there's a lot of like good areas, bad areas, like, 
and so on versus um, like I've got some property out in New Brunswick in kind of these smaller areas. And, and there it's like, there's not really a really bad area in the way that we'd imagine like Jane and Finch, no. whatever, like a rough neighborhood in Toronto. Right. Yeah. So is that like, where does Kirkland Lake land on that, on that spectrum in terms of like, are there good and bad areas or is really anywhere? There's not really good and bad areas. Um, I think when, when you're looking at investing in Kirkland Lake, what you really want to focus on are the amenities. So there's a lot of buildings here in town that um, there's a tremendous opportunity to come in and really force some value in it to to, you know, trans transfer a, a lower end building to a higher end building. You know, things like looking for parking, um, you know, making sure that there's coin laundry on site, washer, dryer hookups. Those are the kinds of things that will keep your units full with good tenants. And, and Kirkland, like it's small enough that it's not like you have, you know, a bad neighborhood. What you might have is like a block with a couple of rough buildings. But right. what happens is as people come in and buy those buildings and fix them up, then, you know, things change. And what was a bad building two years ago is not a bad building anymore. Like one of the buildings we have, one of the big buildings we have that used to be like the worst building in town, known for drugs, known for dealing, known for all kinds of stuff. It took us less than two years of just working things through. You know, there's all kinds of things you can do from the beginning. And really it's just about holding people accountable for choices. And, you know, security cameras can do wonders in terms of making people accountable. Very true. Uh, so I, I'm just curious then on the property management side, like what's, what's the rent rates that you see in Kirkland Lake? Um, and I'd also like, given that there's a lot of people kind of, uh, let's call it like a transient population, like people that come from New Brunswick, Windsor, et cetera, to work in the mines. Um, how does that differ when you start looking at like a short or medium term rental rate? I guess it's not short term, but like medium term rental. Like, is that a big booming market there or? Well, it, it sort of depends. I mean, everybody has their decisions they make. So um, to address your first question in terms of rental rates. So if we're a two bedroom on the lower end, you'd probably be looking at, you know, seven to eight hundred. Um, and that would be for us, all of our units, wherever possible, they're all plus hydro. We never do inclusive unless there's no meter and there's no way to do anything except inclusive. So you'd be looking seven to eight hundred on the lower end. Uh, we have some two bedrooms that are beautifully, you know, newly updated, fully redone and, you know, $1,400. Wow. wow that's <laughs> my job. How big are those units? Like about a thousand square feet, you'd say, give or take? Oh, no, no, not that big. It's the wow. finishes, you know, it's the and, and keep in mind, you know, growing up in Toronto, like I've been on the bridal path, like I, I've been in, you know, high end luxury places and. um you know, the, the nicer units here, I mean, we're talking, you know, a nice backsplash in the kitchen. You know, we're talking a glass shower insert. We're not talking about the Taj Mahal here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 1400. I mean, I mean, it's, it's definitely doable, but again, you have to have the parking to go with it. And that is probably the biggest challenge in Kirkland Lake is that the houses, you know, they were built in the thirties. A lot of times they were intended that you know, maybe they might not stay up forever, you know, when the gold, they thought the gold boom was going to end and then they were going to knock them down and that didn't happen. Um, and, and to touch on Mayu's point earlier, uh, when Kale Gold started building their fourth shaft a couple of years ago, their plan is they have a 50 year plan and they mm -hmm. are, you know, three years into it mm -hmm. and it's mm -hmm. a $320 million spend to just to dig that shaft. And they just keep finding more and more veins. So Matachawan um, Alamos gold, they just found a couple of really promising new veins too. So it's the sort of idea originally was we'll just, you know, throw these houses up and miners will stay there and then we'll knock them down again. 
So parking is a premium because we don't have a transit system here. So your higher end tenants are going to need somewhere to park their vehicles. And it's a little bit like Calgary and Alberta, where there's a lot of big trucks, a lot mm-hmm. of big pickup trucks. Gotcha. And, and how much would a unit rent without parking? And lastly, like what are the what would you say price per unit on average is what you're seeing for something that's like turnkey renovated, pretty nice condition? So I would be looking for probably uh, eight fifty to a thousand uh, for a turnkey two bedroom with parking, um, and the thousand range would have probably washer dryer hookups in it. Okay, and uh, how much how much uh, would be price per unit in terms of acquisition for like an apartment building, or is it going by cap rate? Like either or. Um. So obviously, the larger multi units, you'd be definitely talking cap rate. But you know, a, a building that would be ideal for a burr, you'd probably be spending thirty to fifty thousand a unit. Um, and then wow. after repair value, yeah, stop laughing up there. <laughs> that's great. No, that's great. Yeah, that sounds, sounds pretty promising. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then my goal, you know, after repair value, you know, seventy five thousand um, to a hundred. One of the challenges that we have with this market is that it is a smaller market. And we have a lot of wholesalers coming in lately. Um, and so the challenge is when people do burrs, how are we going to, you know, what kind of a, a number are we going to land at for ARV? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm guessing there's not many sales comparables around the area. Is that what's, yeah. Okay. That's going to be a challenge for sure. Yeah. And, and, the, and that's why if they're selling with wholesalers, like it would be awesome. Like Austin, when you sell a building in Kirkland Lake, do me a favor, like, Give me a call, send me an email so that I can say to my appraiser, hey, listen, this building just sold over here. It's not an MLS. But if you look it up, you'll find out it's a triplex and it sold for this amount just so that I can continue to support my owners um, as they're they're doing their things and making sure that their numbers are coming back where they should. You mm-hmm. probably don't want to tell your appraisers the numbers that Austin's locking stuff up at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're like, what was the original price he locked it up at? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's no, and, and, and I think that's amazing. You know, it, it's some of these smaller markets, they just haven't had the opportunity to have people come in. And it, I'm so proud when I drive around town to see the buildings we've fixed up over the years and, and the contributions we've made to the community. Um, it, it, I'm really proud to be here. I'm, I'm proud to be a real estate investor and to be doing what we do. And you can see the difference we can make in smaller communities like this for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. People like to shit on real estate investors as if like the only sole purpose of what we do is to make a profit. Right. But we're adding units to the rental market. We're turning over dilapidated buildings. Like for you, you bought the worst building and turned it into a beautiful building, right? Like things like that are not possible if it's not for real estate investors. And obviously we're going to do these things for a profit. Like no one's got, it's not like charity work, no. right? But like, we're trying to make the community better. Um, but just to pivot things in a different direction, you grew your portfolio quite large. And is that mainly through doing things yourself, private money, JV partners? How have you been going around getting the source of funds to scale? Um, once we maxed out in terms of our ability to qualify for stuff, especially once my husband left his job, cause he had a great job as an engineer for an insurance company. So, you know, he had a fantastic income. Um, we, we really focused on, on private money and JVs. So, and especially, you know, with my rent to own company as well, we, everything we did was, was with JVs too. So I definitely wouldn't have been able to grow my portfolio like I have without, uh, without partnering for sure. Yeah, I think that's likewise with Mayu and I or really any investor in a large scale. It's it's OPM, right? Like that's what everyone talks about in real estate investing. And this kind of ties into my next question. 
Um, I mean, ethics and integrity is super important for investors, right? Like, especially people who are the money partner, capital partner. A lot of people have reservations. Like, why should I give you my money? Or why should I trust this property manager? Why should I trust this contractor? So on and so forth. Like the, the limit, I wouldn't say limiting beliefs, but the concerns are endless and they're valid concerns, right? Um, yeah. And we know that in, in news, there are, there's been light on uh, some people, um, Sunil, um, where there's mm-hmm. like an ethics debate on on kind of, I think he was running like some sort of Ponzi scheme with investors, if I'm not mistaken. And my question here is, is that one, like how do you maintain ethics and integrity in the business with JV partners, private lenders? And why is that so important in real estate investing in general? That's a good question. The way I like to maintain ethics and integrity is I like to have full transparency. Not every deal goes the way you anticipate it's going to. Not every renovation is textbook. You know, there are things that happen when you're buying a property or things that you discover when you're renovating a property. I think the number one thing to do is make sure you're communicating that to people so that people don't feel like you're trying to hide things or you're trying to sweep things, you know, under the carpet and and pretend that they don't exist. Um as someone who's been in the business for as long as I have, I think your reputation has to be able to speak for itself. We're actually a relatively small community. Social media has made the world of investing so much smaller. Um, and I, I think your reputation has to be the number one thing that you safeguard because the reality is you can always find another deal. You can always find another partner and you can always find more money. But if you can't be trusted to manage a property and to look out for other people's best interests ahead of your own, then I think you are going to struggle at some point to be able to grow into any, you know, significant size portfolio. So then let's, let's go from there into kind of as a new investor, I think the number one challenge that a lot of people have is you don't really have a track record to show that, Hey, like I'm doing the right things. I'm doing the right renos. I'm communicating effectively. Like here's some referrals for you to talk to that. Like people that have previously partnered with me. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, and I know you do a fair amount of coaching as well. And I, I think that's, primarily what you're moving towards now, right? Is that, is that correct or no? The coaching. Yeah, you're doing I, I love of, coaching. So this is a perfect question for you. So how, how do new investors get started then? So one of the things to, to address the first part of that question, I, I like to make sure that investors look at, you know, it's not just about who you know or how much money you have. You know, typically investors will have four different types of resources. They'll have time, they'll have knowledge, they'll have a network and they'll have finances or money. So just because you might be, you know, a little bit lacking in one area doesn't mean you don't have an abundance in another area. So first thing to to do is to figure out, you know, what areas are you strong in and what areas do you need some support in? The second thing to do is to figure out um, what knowledge do I need to have? Because some people are very concerned about a track record, but there are other people who are like, you know, You don't specifically have to have done 15 burrs for me to invest with you. But if you're working with the best coach out there, if you have the best support, if you have the best team of people around you, then you are much less likely to make make a mistake so catastrophic that you're going to cost me my investment. So the people you surround yourself are absolutely key. And sometimes... You know, we um, we've had over the years, we've had a couple of apprentices, people who are like, you know, we want to learn from you. You know, we just want to come and hang out with you. And we've had people who've hung out with us, you know, for a few days, a few weeks. And we, you know, had one guy who hung out with us and just, you know, but um, he just spent a couple of years with us, did a couple of deals with us and learned everything boots on the ground, you know, right from the very beginning. So I think that willingness 
The number one defining quality I find with successful investors, looking at them as new um, people starting out is, do you have this unquenchable thirst for knowledge and are you willing to take action? Yeah. And I think this is something that Austin actually says quite a bit. So I'll take, I'll say the words this time, but uh, like real estate really isn't hard work. It's not hard. It's just hard work. Right. Um, Like nothing we do is super technically complex. Like we're not doing coding and like, or like any sort of like life-saving things here. Right. So it's really simple things. And the numbers are really simple as well. It's just um, how much time and effort are you willing to put into it? Right. Um, So, yeah, so so that's great. I I think um, one last question before we move into our kind of rapid round questions here. Um, But let's talk about the coaching side, right? Cause uh, we've had a couple other coaches on here before as well, but we like to ask our coaches always, um, why do people need a coach? And and at what point is, is a coach a good fit in your opinion? So I believe a coach ideally comes in when you have some of the um, some of the knowledge you need to move forward, but you're not sure how to do so. So when you've you know consumed enough you know podcasts and you've been to enough webinars and and you know the I mean you guys provide tremendous value to to your members and the people in your network. So when you've reached the point where you understand the basics, you understand what is a burr, what is the process, what should happen. I think at that point is when you are primed to hire a coach and the idea behind a coach. And, and I'm speaking as someone who not only is a coach, I have coaches, I've had coaches for years. Um, and, and I, I firmly believe that I am who I am as an investor because of working with different coaches. But what I believe my job as a coach should, is to do is to shorten the runway and to lessen the cost. So my husband and I, we made mistakes. Are some of our mistakes? I mean, we did rent to owns in New Brunswick in 2010, and it took me 10 years to sell them. And some of them I sold at a loss. So, you know, the, that market, it didn't recover. It was because I didn't know how to properly analyze a market and, and how to align my investment strategy with a market in the beginning. So what do I make sure all my coaching clients do? I make sure they never make the same mistakes that I made. They might make other ones, but hopefully they're not ones that are going to cost them thousands and thousands of dollars. So um, my belief is that a coach is going to shorten the runway and help you get where you want to be faster. But they're also going to help you provide help provide you with clarity and focus. So a lot of real estate investors have shiny penny syndrome. It's like, oh, I want to do this. Oh, look at this. Oh, look, this deal came up over here. Maybe I should go over here. And if we want to be successful, we have to be 100 percent laser focused. What I like to see investors do is something I call layering. So when you don't know any better and, you know, Uncle Bob comes to you and says, you know, I have this this friend's property. He just passed away. It's all hoarded in. It needs a ton of work. Do you want to buy it? Are you interested? When you're starting out as an investor, you might say, and this isn't to in any way diminish the challenge of, of being a wholesaler, but you might say, oh, well, you know, I could find someone who would do a renovation. So you sell the, the deal to someone for 5,000 bucks or 10,000 bucks. But when you know more as an investor, you do the renovation yourself. And when you know even more as an investor, then you do a renovation and you turn it into a rent to own. So you make 5,000 as a wholesaler, you make 50,000 as a flipper, but you make 100,000 as a rent to own. So as we can layer in these strategies and do more with each single property, then we can take it really to highest and best use and maximum return. That that's perfectly put. You know what? We had a guest who was talking about highest and best use, and it's exactly what you said. But to get to highest and best use, you need to be educated in the real estate world, right? For someone, a highest best use for a single family home might just be rented out as is. 
For someone else, it might just be cosmetic renovations. For someone else, it might be now add a secondary suite, right? There's always kind of levels to this to bringing things to the highest and best use. So yeah, that's that that's exactly what it is. And a coach will help you kind of see potential that you might have n- never seen before. And adding those elements of I I guess adding those extra layers. Um, that can bring you a lot more money, right? Like a duplex conversion can be an, a significant additional lift, right? Um, so perfectly put there. I think we want to move on to our rapid three round now. Uh, Mayu, you, you kick it off just, as you always do. Yeah, I was just going to say one quick comment there. I love how you broke it down in the layering side where the wholesaling meets the renovating, which like, for example, myself and Austin, we stop at the burr. Right. But the ideal exit is a rent to own exit where you can get a, a higher sales price, set up that passive income. And it's something that myself and Austin, I think we were just talking about it like today or yesterday as well. Right. So it's top of mind. Um, so not that many people think about that exit as an exit, right? Like a rent to own where you could get top dollar set up annuities essentially moving forward. So that's awesome, Elizabeth. Um, well, actually, so- actually, <laughs> one more thing. Now we're just like going off comments, comments, comments. Elizabeth, if you have another comment, feel free to chime in as well. Um, another cool creative idea, like this is just spitballing. Yeah, that Mayu and I were actually talking about yesterday is like buying these apartment buildings because I have a lender who had all, like a ton of apartment buildings and hotels and like expensive areas like Barry, so on and so forth. So basically what he ended up doing, and this is just something you get from like speaking with experienced people to hear kind of the cool shit they do is he took all of these apartments, turned them over. Then he did a VTB to obviously save on taxes, but also like it's passive income. He's starting to do VTBs to sell it off to other investors and he's getting these monthly payments from them. And then at the end of the day, um, like maybe five years, he gets that lump sum payment on top of that. Right. So it's pretty sick with the like, and you don't know these things until you work with experienced investors or it opens your mind. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. All right. So, uh, Elizabeth, we're finally going to be more comment. Ask- no, I'm joking. I'm no. <laughs> we're <laughs> finally going to be able to ask you our, our rapid three questions. The first question is, um, Elizabeth, like you're doing a lot already, but where do you, where do you see yourself five years from now? It could be personal life, coaching, um, real estate investing, anything. Um, my focus, my primary focus now is I want time freedom. So, you know, as a, as a, active owner of three businesses. My time is very important to me. It's very precious to me. I coach because I love to coach, uh, not because it's, it's my, my primary income or anything along those lines. Um, so that means that I would like to look more at passive investments and less, I'd like to look more at being like the money partner as opposed to the working partner. And, um, I definitely want to head in, in that direction, uh, passive lending for sure. And just spend my time coaching and, um, I'm moving into the commercial land development um, realm as well, which is a very common transition for investors. Um, I, I find, you know, as as fun as as you know, multi units and that kind of thing, as fun as they are, I, I need the challenge. I need something new to do with my time. Are, are you doing the commercial land development out in Kirkland Lake or somewhere else? No, I'll be looking for a new market to do that. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And uh, second question here is if you won $10 million uh, and you had seven days to spend it, you cannot put it all in real estate, right? So I know you want to do commercial land development, but you can't spend all 10 mil on it. (laughs) Have some personal fun with it too. Um, What would you spend it on? That's a great question. Um, Definitely. I would be donating some to, to um, charity, anything to do with, with animals and housing, of course, is near and dear to my heart. Uh, I would put a good chunk of it. I like investing in people and in businesses. So I'd be looking for opportunities to be a, a money partner in a business. 
Um, and then I believe in, you know, the value of offering scholarships and, and those kinds of things so that people can, can further themselves and sort of pay it forward. Um, that's part of the reason why I do, um, I do free webinars and it's because I just want the opportunity to, um, have people share to share information with people the same way people help me grow. All right. And if you could have dinner with anyone dead or alive, who would you choose and why? Oh, Brene Brown. Brene Brown is a huge leadership researcher in, in the U.S. And she talks about having the courage to be vulnerable in leadership and leading your organizations with vulnerability and courage. And I just like every time she talks, I don't know. Are you guys familiar with Brene Brown? Do you know who no. that is? No, mm-hmm. I'm Googling Ooh, it right now. <laughs> she's, she's amazing. She's absolutely amazing. And her insights and and um, just the way that she looks at the world and the the energy that she brings are just there incredibly motivating, but very humbling. And, um, they just give me hope for, for the future and for, you know, the world and, and the humans in it. So she have any books or like podcasts or only a million. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so she should read uh, pretty like, easy to read up on. Yeah. She's got two or three podcasts. She's got a bunch of books. Um, I have daring greatly. That's my favorite one. She's been on Ted talk. So there's some videos of her, um, Netflix ran a special on her a couple of years ago, which is where I first came across her. Um, but she's, she's just a cool lady and she's totally honest and transparent. Like, you know, who she is. There's no, there's no, I have a, you know, a Lambo and a a huge house and all these other things, but you don't really know who I am as a person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Uh, Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us in today's podcast. It was a wonderful episode. You dropped a lot of golden nuggets and uh, you're you're very well read. Like I've learned a lot <laughs> throughout this entire podcast. I was like, who's this person? Um, so, so, yeah, like that, that's amazing. Um, and it seems like you're you're definitely like we spoke to experts in their market, but I, I don't think I've come across an expert in the market as in touch with the market as you are. Like you are like really well read in the development that's going on in Kirkland Lake, um, major employers and exactly what they're doing. Right. So you're really treating this like a business. So um, thank you so much for sharing your insights. If anyone wants to reach out to you, they want to, uh, I guess, contact you. How could they do so? Oh, I'm really easy to find on Facebook or Instagram, uh, Elizabeth Kelly consulting. And, uh, yeah, I love to connect with people. I love to talk with new investors. And uh, thank you so much for having me. It's been great getting to know you guys better. I love seeing what new investors, the way your mind works um, and the way you, you look at problems and, and uh, the way you solve things and move forward. So it's Mine's awesome. just snapping a quick photo of I'm us trying, right I'm now. Trying, I'm trying to take a quick, I realized I you never took one yet. Oh, no, no. You got to take the mandatory social media photo. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Um, Elizabeth, thank you again so much for, for joining us today. Um, looking forward to have you on again when, when you start exploring that commercial development, start taking next steps on your journey. I'm sure you'll have a ton more to share as well. Um, guys, if you, if you guys uh, enjoyed this podcast episode, make sure to like subscribe, go on Apple podcast, leave a review. It helps bring great guests like Elizabeth on. We're going to leave all of her contact information on the show notes. Um, so feel free to reach out to her and make sure to give her a follow and until next time, everyone invest smarter and live better.